0: Welcome to Words of Truth. Jesus said, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Luke chapter 10, beginning in the 25th verse. It says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, and with all of thy soul, and with all of thy strength, and with all of thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him, and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him, and and bound up his wounds pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto... Excuse me, which now... Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he answered and said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. And we'll stop our reading there. Um, Forgiving our mistakes, that is the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, the 25th through the 37th verse, and what is known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. Today I want to look at three things. I want to look at the men, the motive and the message. The men, the motive and the message. And Uh, I like those little uh, alliterations, that's when the word has the same starting letter. That helps me to kind of organize my thoughts, and and more than that, it helps me to remember the things that are said as I go out and and things get busy. I can recall these things by remembering these little alliterative sayings. So uh, today what I want to look at is the men, the motives, and the message. The first thing I want us to look at is the men that are engaged in a conversation here. There is a lawyer, the Bible says, and then there is Jesus. So we have two men engaged in an intellectual conversation uh, about things of spirituality. And I I want us to look a little bit about who they are. Well, first of all, there's this lawyer. And I was hoping my brother-in-law would be here this morning because he is a lawyer. And this was a wonderful opportunity to make fun of him. But I don't have that opportunity today, but maybe I'll give him the recording afterwards uh, to try to poke him in his ribs a little bit. But uh, no, we know that all lawyers aren't bad. That may be something I don't get a lot of amens about. But, um, but this lawyer had a, uh, a different agenda in mind than really being an inquisitive person. So uh, the first person we have here is a lawyer, and it means a little bit different than the lawyer that we think about today. Uh, uh, this lawyer was a high ranking religious official. Okay? He was the elite of the religious class. He was a scholar and an expert of the Mosaic law. So he knew the first five books of the Old Testament probably by memory. That's how much of an expert that he was on the Pentateuch or those first five books of Moses. The law of Moses was his life. He knew it inside and out, and he could recite it, and he does recite it when Jesus asks him this question. He knows the Old Testament law of Moses inside and out. So that's who he is. Also, something I think about him is that he thinks very highly of himself. So because of his knowledge and his high re- religious ranking, that he holds himself in high esteem. And you can read that in the way that he speaks to Jesus and the way that he responds to Jesus is that he holds himself highly and he thinks of himself in a high manner jesus the other man in whom he's talking about obviously we know a little bit more about him he was the son of god he was the christ he was the messiah the chosen of god to enter into this world to come in the likeness of sinful flesh to die for our sins jesus knew more about the law than anyone did and the Bible tells us that Jesus did not come uh, to get rid of the law or to, to forsake the law, but he came to fulfill the law. So Jesus not only knew the Old Testament law, but his purpose in coming to this in this world was to fulfill the law perfectly when other men could not do so. So the man that the lawyer was talking to was better equipped to understand the law than he was. So Jesus knew the law inside and out. Jesus also did not fit the religious mold. And that's something that you understand very quickly when you read the New Testament, is that Jesus didn't fit the mold that the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers and the experts wanted the Messiah to fit. That's why they rejected Him as Savior in the first place. They wanted someone to sit, as King David said, upon the throne and rule over the nations in an earthly kingdom. But Jesus, in coming to this world, said His kingdom wasn't an earthly kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. And in coming the first time into this world, He was coming as a sacrificial servant to give His life and to die for sin. It was the second returning of Christ where He would sit as judge and as king over the nations. Now listen, don't take me wrong on that. We could get into that. I don't believe there's going to be a second earthly kingdom. He's going to call it all to an end in His second coming. Uh, but I want you to understand this, and that his, his time coming the first time, if they would have understood the Old Testament as much as they said they did, they would understand that Jesus was going to lay the transgressions of the world upon His own shoulders. That He wasn't going to come and sit and rule over the nations as a king in purple and, and majesty but he was going to come as a servant. He was coming as a sacrifice. He was coming to seek and to save that which was lost and to give his life a sacrifice for the sinful world. So the religious elite of the day didn't like that. They said, there's no way you're Messiah. There's no way you're Christ. Look at you. You don't have anything to your name, right? This little band of people that are following you, they, they don't have any religious prestige, You sit there with with sinners and eat with them and talk with them, right? You tell the children to come to you and you talk to them and you love them and you wrap your arms around them. You're not religious. You're not the Messiah because you don't fit the religious mold in which we claim that you should fit. So, Jesus was the Son of God. He was the Messiah and he proved it uh, in dying and raising again. Uh, but they didn't see him as that because he didn't fit the religious mold or what they wanted him to fit. Uh, and second, and thirdly, what I want you to understand is that he knew the law better than this lawyer knew the law. But the lawyer didn't understand that right away. So those are the men. Those are the men that are engaged in this conversation. Secondly, I want us to look at what their motives were. What was the lawyer's motive in asking Jesus questions? There in that first verse it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him saying master or teacher what shall i do to inherit eternal life so there is absolutely nothing wrong with the question that he asked right i think it's the most important question anyone could ask right what must i do to inherit eternal life it was a good question And it is a valid question, and it's a question that I think everyone should ask. at One point in their lives is, what should I do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to go to heaven and spend eternity with God? So the question, there was no error in the question, but there was great error in the motive, right? What did it say? He asked him this, he stood up and tempted or tested Jesus and asked him this question. So, you see, there's a difference between someone who is genuinely seeking truth and someone that is, uh, you know, hostile, right? Someone that is, is trying to stir up something. And I, you've probably talked to people in both camps in your life and will be approached by people in both camps as the children of God, as the church of Jesus Christ in the world today. We're going to come across two different kinds of people that will ask questions. One of them is the genuine seeker. They genuinely have a heart desire to know truth. And those ones you just long to talk to, don't you? Those that are just missing something and there's a void in their heart and they're trying so desperately to fill it with truth. And for, for, for whatever reason, because of the providence of God, they've been brought into your life, and now you have this wonderful opportunity to declare to them the gospel of Jesus Christ and to lay out what Christ has done for them and all that Christ has accomplished in securing their salvation and telling them to trust in Him and to repent of their sins and to lay themselves at the feet of Jesus Christ. And then there's the second kind. And unfortunately, we come across them as much or if not more than the first type. And that's the type that Jesus was dealing with here. The question wasn't a genuine desire for truth. The question was to test Jesus, right? They wanted to catch Jesus off guard, right? They wanted to catch him saying something that contradicted Moses' law or the Old Testament, So if this was this Messiah, if this was this great religious teacher, then if we could just catch him, because I'm a lawyer, I know the Old Testament law by heart, I know these things inside and out, so I'm going to try to trick him or test him to get him to say something that is contrary to the Word of God. And if we do that, then we got him, right? That was his motive. And how many people do we come across today that ask us religious questions that have no desire to know genuine truth but just want to catch us off guard, right? And we're not Jesus, right? We don't always have the right answers, but I think we can learn a lot from how Jesus responded to this man and the motivation of Jesus' heart in talking to him. It is really hard to get into a debate with someone that doesn't want genuine truth, right? It is almost futile in our efforts because the only thing they're trying to do is to trip you up or to catch you in saying something that's not right. So it's hard. So I think we can learn something in this in the way that Jesus approaches this man and how we should talk to people of that nature. So this man's heart uh, was one that was trying to trick Jesus or catch Jesus up. He was not genuine at all. It says that he tempted him saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, what really gripped my heart in this question was, is that he's asking something that he should be genuine about, right? A vital, important, eternal question. What must I do to go to heaven? What must I do to have eternal life? And he's doing it. Uh, uh, to, to trick Jesus. He's doing it with a heart that doesn't seek genuine truth. He's doing it lightly and loosely. And how many people in this world ask those questions over and over again just to ridicule and just to challenge when they need to be asking it genuinely from their hearts? It's sad, right? If he would have been just had a different motive but the same question, the thing could have turned out so much differently, but his motive was completely wrong shouldn't mess around or think lightly about eternal life. And this man was doing it very haphazardly and very with a with a poor motivation in his heart. So, he says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life with no desire to actually know the truth? I've beleaguered the point. 26, he says, and he said unto him, what is written in the law, how readest thou? So, jesus responds to this question jesus can perceive his heart jesus knows exactly where this man is coming from and he asks answers his question with another question right so he doesn't uh right off go into a uh, theological diatribe about all of these religious things but he says okay i know that you're a master of the law i know that you know the scripture and i've not come to forsake the law but i've come to fulfill it so What do you think it is? What is written in the word of God? What is written in the law of Moses? Tell me. How do you read it? And he answers them. And he he quotes two scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter 6, I think it's verse 5. And also Leviticus chapter 19. I can't remember the verse off the top of my head right now. But he combines these two Old Testament scriptures and gives him a very good biblical response to the question that was asked. So he says, "And And he answering said... Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. And Jesus responds to him and he says, Thou hast answered right. This do and thou shalt live. Now, this is startling to me and it was probably startling to this lawyer, right? This lawyer who has a motivation to to catch Jesus or to trick Jesus, and here Jesus is agreeing with what he said and saying, you're absolutely right. That is what the law teaches, and that is so true. And now there's some confusion that can happen within these verses, and oftentimes as people preach and teach through these things, uh, they pervert what is actually being said by Jesus. Jesus is not saying that by doing these things you receive eternal life, but he's saying that those that have eternal life will do these things. Do you see the difference? There's a big difference. It is that those that have been given eternal life, those that have the promise of eternal life, will love God with all their heart. Those that are uh, have eternal life will love their neighbors as themselves. Now listen here. <laughs> What was Jesus' motivation? Again, we're in this motivation. I want you to think about that for a little bit because it helps us to understand what he was trying to teach this man. And in understanding the man's motive and Christ's motive, we see what Jesus was teaching and what could be a confusing verse. Right? Some of us think, is he teaching works righteousness? If I just simply go and do some things, will I win the favor of God? And many people teach it like that, but that is not what the intention of Christ was. What is Christ's motivation? Christ's motivation is not to win an argument, it's to win a man. What do you think about that for a minute? Right? He's having an intellectual conversation with a man that is very intellectual and that knows a lot of things and has a lot of knowledge, and it is not Christ's desire to win the argument with him about the law. It is Christ's desire is to win the man for God. Christ wants to win his soul. He's not concerned about winning a religious theological argument. He's worried about winning his soul for Christ and for God. Now listen, I don't know about you, but I can learn a lot from that today. Sometimes I am so quick to go and spew off all of these verses that I've memorized and try to act religious and win an argument because someone is trying to argue against me, and then I leave there saying, hey, I showed him. What have I accomplished? Right? Right? What have I accomplished by thinking that I won a religious argument by quoting more scriptures than the other guy won? My motivation should be like Christ's motivation. Not to show him that he's wrong, but to show him his need for Jesus Christ in the first place. And that was what Christ was doing here. The man didn't think that he needed a Savior. The man thought that he was religious and right within himself. And God was revealing the sin of his own heart to the man. Right? Think about it. He says, he says, thou hast answered right. This do and thou shalt live. Listen to the man. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So the response of Jesus startled him. It caught him off guard. And he sa- it says, willing to justify himself. Willing to, to declare himself righteous. Righteous. Because what Jesus had just said revealed to his heart that he had not done what Jesus said to do. He had not done what the Mosaic law had stated him to do. Right? And I think if we all look at that, and we're probably startled within our own hearts, we can't look at that and say, hey, I've done that. I have eternal life. Right? And if someone ever does do that, I would encourage them to make their calling and election sure because it is not by the works of the law in which we receive righteousness. So Jesus says to him, remember, his response." he says, what is written in the law? How do you see it? And he says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, thy mind, and thy strength. And he says, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And he says, you've rightly said, do this and you shall live. The man hadn't done this, Right? And he's about to ask him another question and to justify himself or to make himself feel righteous because Jesus had just revealed the sin of his own heart to him. He says, well, then who is my neighbor? Right. A very lawyerly response. Define neighbor. (laughs) Right. Let me justify my way out of this. Let me gird around what the law says. I know the law, but I've never looked at it accurately. And now Jesus is revealing it to me to the fullness of my heart. And now i got to wiggle my way out of this thing. So let's define what the word neighbor means. Listen. I'm going to read some scripture from Romans chapter 3. And I think you all know this today, but I think it's important that we understand it in approaching people in the world today. Romans 3 and 19, it says, "No, Now we know that what, the, what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, And all the world may become guilty before God. Did you hear that? I think this is so fitting for what's happening here with Jesus and this lawyer that has declared himself righteous by the things that he has done and the religious ceremonies that he's gone through. And he holds himself in this high esteem. Listen, it says, let me read it again. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. The purpose of the law, the same law that this man was an expert and a scholar in, was not a ladder to get to God. It was a mirror to reveal the sins of our hearts to ourselves. To see that we have fallen short of the mark that God has called Listen, if any man can perfectly keep the law of God, then yes, they are right with God. Yes, they will go to heaven. But the reason of the law wasn't to show us that we could keep it. It was to show us that we couldn't keep it. And in looking at the law and seeing our own hearts and our own life in the midst of what God had laid out, we don't say, hey, yeah, I've done that. We say, oh, man, I've messed this thing up. I've not kept the law. You go back and look at Exodus chapter 20 and you read through the Ten Commandments and you tell me that you've kept any of those perfectly. The Bible calls us a liar. You may not have murdered someone, but I bet you've had a murderous thought in your heart. And Jesus said, the the law has said, thou shalt not murder, but I say anyone that has aught against their brother, that has hatred against their brother, has committed murder in their hearts. Right? Jesus said, I didn't come to, to get rid of the law. I'm telling you, your interpretation of the law is all messed up. And as you read through the law of God, we see that we have fallen far short of what God has set. We've missed the mark altogether. Let's keep reading in Romans 3. So he says that every mouth may be stopped and that all the world may become guilty before God. Listen. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. None. By religious works and religious deeds, no man shall be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Right? That's what we're talking about. The revelation that we're sinners and that we've missed the mark. But now the righteousness of God with the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it goes into the beautiful picture of the propitiation that Jesus Christ made for us on the cross of Calvary and that he kept the law perfectly when we could not keep the law perfectly and died a sinner's death in our place and became the sacrifice for our sins. So you see what Jesus was saying when the man quoted the law. and He said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. He says, Thou hast answered right. Do that and you shall live, right? Do that and you shall live. If you can keep that, what you just said, perfectly, then you shall have eternal life. And you can see immediately within the man's heart, he realizes, I've already messed this thing up. I know the law. I've memorized it all. I can quote it back to Jesus. I have all of this religious uh, prestige and power, yet here Jesus is stirring in his heart. Isn't that awesome? This man wanted to have an intellectual argument with Jesus, and instead of having an intellectual argument with him, he stirs in his heart. He makes him see the real thing. The real problem isn't an interpret. It isn't, it isn't. interpreting and arguing over the law. It's realizing his need for a Savior and that he didn't keep the law that he had memorized perfectly. So... He says, and he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, right, trying to work his way out, said unto him, And who is my neighbor, right? Let's define that, right? Because I've been good to a lot of people, but if I don't know how you define neighbor, right? So he's trying to think that he has kept the law. He's trying to do whatever he can because Jesus has just revealed to him that he hasn't kept it perfectly. He's trying to justify himself now to think that he has done all these things. And he tells this story. And I've been longer on the front half than, than I thought I would, so I'll try to make myself quick on the, the last half. So that's the men, and that's the motive. Now, here's the message. So, now Jesus is not responding to the first question anymore. He's responding to the second one, and that's important. Okay? He's not saying the way that you, in, you inherit eternal life is to go and help somebody on the side of the road. That's not it. And some people teach it like that, and we need to understand that. He's responding to the question is, who is my neighbor? Right? He's asking him another question now. He's already answered the first one. Now he's responding to a second one. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Okay? So, who do we have here? We have a man. We're told very little about him. And I think this is very purposeful on Jesus' part. Obviously, he didn't do anything without purpose. But consider it today. Okay? The man is asking, Who is my neighbor? And he's about to tell this parable, this story, about this certain man that was beaten and robbed and left half-dead on the side of the road. Did he tell him that he was a Jew? No. Did he tell him this man was a Samaritan, who the Jews hated and didn't mix with? They, they, They couldn't stand each other. No, he didn't say he was a Samaritan. Did he say he was a rich man? No. Did he say he was a poor man? No. Did he say anything that would describe this man to him? The answer is no, and I think it's purposely that he left this man like that, right? Consider that fact today. When we're talking about this story about who we should help and who we should have compassion on and who we should show love to, it doesn't matter what titles that person holds in this world, what side of the tracks they come from or the color of their skin. He left it blank because we should show compassion and love to every man, everyone, everyone. And Jesus left it like that. It was just a certain man. Who cares about what labels that he had in this world? Who cares about what background that he had? Who cares about what side of the tracks that he comes from? We're not chosen this world to show compassion to this group and disdain to this group. We've been called to show compassion and love to the whole world. And Jesus was saying that in his parable. He just doesn't describe this man for a purpose. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves and stripped him of his raiment. And wounded him and departed him, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So we're about to see two men, the priest and the Levite. Again, the religious elite people of the day. Those that that were the the righteous, uh, the so-called righteous of the day, uh, walking past this man. So 32, and it says, Likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. So the priest and the Levite have the same response. They see the man in the circumstance that he's in, beaten and half dead, can't help himself. uh, Yet they do not want to tie their lives up or their time up with the man's need. They drive by. I don't know if they had any kind of compassion. I don't know if they had any kind of feeling inside of their heart. They may have thought, oh, man, that's that's a rough situation, right? But I got that thing tonight at 7, so got to keep moving. Right. I don't know how many of us have felt that in our hearts before. Here's a situation that has, has come before us, yet the busyness of our day or the schedule that we try to keep prevents us from stopping. I don't know. It doesn't tell us what these men thought or what went through their hearts, but what we know is that they saw the man in his predicament, and for whatever reason, they went to the other side of the road and kept moving along the path. Then we get to this third man. <clears throat> The hero of the story and the hero of the story was the Samaritan right Jesus didn't even make the man that was that was beaten and that was left half dead he didn't make him a Samaritan because remember he's talking to this Jewish leader right now and the Jews wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans they were unclean people and they would have nothing to do with them they had a long history and they were like oil and water they didn't mix So if Jesus would have made this man that was hurting and broken and half dead on the side of the road a Samaritan, that would have been hard for a Jew to consider helping them out because they didn't mix. But no, Jesus doesn't even make that man the Samaritan. He makes the hero of the story a Samaritan, right? He makes the one that the story's all about that shows him what being a neighbor is all all about a Samaritan and not a Jew. This would have been astounding to this man. So he goes on. He says, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. (sighs) You remember Jesus as he looked out at the multitudes? And the Bible says that he was moved with compassion within himself because he saw sheep without a shepherd. The Samaritan is demonstrating the character of Christ in his life. And as he saw this man in his predicament, it says that he had compassion on him. And he went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. <laughs> so, this third man, the Samaritan man, uh, unconcerned about the nationality or the situation, uh, what brought the man to be where he was, he was moved with compassion at his circumstance. And he went and he bound up his wounds and he helped him and he put him up on his own beast put him on the back of his own donkey and rode him to a place where he could rest and heal. Not only did he just not leave him there then and go on about his business, but he paid for him. And he said, listen, if there's any other expenses, let me know about it. When I come back through, I'll take care of him. Don't worry about that. I'm going to get it. You could see the compassion and the love and the generosity that was within his heart. And Jesus now looking back at the lawyer says, "Which now of these 3 thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves?" You see how he kind of changes the question on him? The lawyer said, "Okay, who's my neighbor?" Right? Define to me neighbor. And Jesus is describing how to be a good neighbor. Right, Which one of these of the three was a neighbor loved like what God had described in the law? Loved like the way that God had told us to love God and to love our neighbor? Who was the one that was neighborly and compassionate and loving? He says, which of the three were that? And he said, he that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, go and do thou Likewise. See, Jesus was appealing to the man's harp. He wasn't going to engage in this great religious discussion and battle. At some points, that is very appropriate. And we see that in the Bible. The apostles did that. They had great theological discussions with other men. They reasoned with them about Jesus Christ, and that is all good. But you see the man's circumstance and how Christ approached it, and it was so appropriate, right? It wasn't about who knew more about the law. He didn't go on and say, It's not about what you do. Right? It's about what I'm going to do for you here in the future. He could have gone into all that and won the argument and been done with it. But he wanted to win the man. He wanted to reveal to him his sin so that he would realize his need for a Savior. And to show them that those that have eternal life will then go and display it by the way that they love God and they love each other. Listen, brothers and sisters, and this is directly applicable to us today. If we say we love God, we must display that in the way that we love our neighbor. That is Bible today. And I question the man that claims to love God, yet does not have love, compassion, and generosity towards the people around about them. And God did too. Listen, the fact of the matter is is that we all fall short of the law. We all fall short in something that he said there, in loving God with every ounce of who we are, with all of our energy, with all of our might, with all of our soul, with all of our emotion. We all fall short of that. With loving our neighbors as ourselves, we've failed in that. But the glorious good news of the gospel is Jesus came for people that are failures like us. to redeem us and to set us free and that we would go out into the world and prove and show that we are the children of God, that we do have eternal life by the way that we treat other people, right? We can say we love God up and down the streets and yell it to the rooftops like all the religious elite of the New Testament, but unless that is demonstrated in the way that we treat other people and have compassion for their souls... It doesn't mean a thing. May God help us to demonstrate his love and may God help us to recognize his grace in that the law that we could not keep, he kept for us. And in dying in our place, now we've put all of our trust and repentance in him. And by the grace of God, Christ can be seen through our lives like he was through the Samaritans. I love you. I hope there was something in the message today that was helpful and I pray that it would... I pray that it would empower our church to reach our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ.